I'd encourage you to grab a Bible. I'm going to read Philippians 3, 1 through 11. My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself might have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray again. Father, um, I pray that you would just open our ears through your Holy Spirit to hear what you want us to hear this morning, that you would speak through me the words you want me to speak. Father, that we would really get the amazing truth in these verses. And that coming out of this time, we would uh, just have an increased and expanded uh, confidence in Christ that would make a difference in our lives. Father, open our eyes to see Jesus in his name. Amen. You know, in reading... uh, Philippians 3.1 here, the way it starts out, it, just, it says, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And I don't, I, mean, I probably have a little bit more of a rebellious spirit than most of you. So when I read something like that, that says rejoice in the Lord, immediately I get cynical. And I think, right, be happy because you lost your job. You know, be happy, your car broke down. Be happy, you were sick this week. Be happy, your girlfriend left you. You And 
it, it almost comes, I don't know, does it come across that way to you all at all? Yeah. It, like a command that says, rejoice in the Lord, and we think, and it sounds like it should be easy, right? <laughs> I mean, find your joy in the Lord. Be happy in the Lord. And yet I think in reality, it isn't, it isn't, we, we read things like that to say, rejoice in the Lord, and well, it's in the Bible, right? So we should rejoice in the Lord, but how many of us really find such a command to be true? <laughs> rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. And I love how Paul goes on, he says, and and to write about it to you again, it's no trouble to me because, because joy in the Lord is at the heart of what our existence should be about, right? I mean, the, um, I love the Westminster Catechism. It says, you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever or by enjoying him forever. I mean, it's at the heart of who we are. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. But how many of us... Is that a reality? Or is it just like another command that we read and we, and we kind of just go on living um, our lives? You know, what makes this command even more credible, though, for us to pay attention to and say, what is Paul saying here and how can we live this out is that when Paul is writing this command, rejoice in the Lord or find your joy in the Lord, he is not on the beach in Hawaii drinking, you know, an iced Kona coffee and um, listening to reggae music. He's in a Roman prison, probably drinking Folgers coffee. You know, I said, he's in a Roman prison. And um, and I, a Roman prison wasn't like the Kitsap County Jail, I don't think, you know, three hots and a cot. Uh, probably much better for a lot of people to be in. I mean, a friend of mine's in there right now, and it's way better for him to be there than what he was doing when he wasn't in there. Um, probably a lot closer to the, the jail that I visited in the Philippines when we lived there this huge room with about 200 guys, ages 8 to 80, all mixed up, one big room, uh, just covered over by a bamboo roof, open sides, and two holes at opposite corners where they did their business. That was the Filipino jail. Probably a lot closer to the conditions of the Roman jail that Paul was in as he writes... Rejoice in the Lord. And what's really cool is because as he writes that in in Philippians chapter 1, verse 4, I mean, listen to what he says. He says, in all my prayers, as he begins this letter to this, this church in Philippi, he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I mean, this guy isn't just telling people, rejoice in the Lord while he's, you know, being crabby and grumpy and, but this guy is full of joy himself in a Roman prison, and he's writing, Rejoice in the Lord. You know, the question that we want to ask ourselves this morning, and uh, that's why I, I love his, uh, 
Daryl opened up. I mean, just as we were just a few days away from a new year, for me, I'm not, I'm not into um, New Year's resolutions, but I love when uh, kind of a new beginning where you can think again like, you know, um, what can I do better? Or, God, how would you help me to live my life in a, in a fresh way? is to ask ourselves, how is this possible? As, as we move into a new year and we evaluate our, our old year, how is it possible? Is it possible that we could live lives that are like Paul's in the middle, in, in a Roman prison, that we could live lives that are full of joy, the joy of the Lord, in a way that permeates, uh, as we look to the new year with all of its uncertainties, and, and some of you know, already challenges and and heartaches, hardships, difficulties. Um, How is it going to be possible or could it be possible uh, to rejoice in the Lord? Well, these verses are incredible. They're some of my favorite verses in the Bible. But this is the heart of what I want us to get in, in case you doze off in a little bit. This is that true joy comes when confidence in Christ invades every aspect of our lives. True joy comes when confidence in Christ invades every aspect of our lives. The heart of it is that the foundation, as we see here in these verses, is a confidence in Christ that just penetrates every aspect of our lives. Um, And that's where we're going to start. If you look back here, we're just going to kind of go quickly through the first nine verses and just and the foundation that Paul lays as he um, as he starts in verse two. Uh, he starts out really harsh. Watch out for those dogs, uh, those evildoers, those mutilators of flesh. As I was reading this, I thought that is a, what is, Paul is doing is he's putting back on these religious people the way the religious Jews, the way they looked at those who weren't Jews. It's kind of the way we do it in our world today, isn't it? If, if somebody's different than us, we call them a name, right? Uh, probably a lot of us were called names uh, when we were growing up. Uh, one of my names was Four Eyes because you'd never guess. You, my, my glasses, you can tell. Um, well, I got laser eye surgery, so now I don't have to have glasses. <laughs> but, you know, it's, we, we and, and so whether it's ethnically or religiously or apparent physically, we, we give people names. And, and, and the people that Paul is writing to, the Jewish people, they looked down on the, the Gentiles as dogs because they saw themselves as the elite, the, the special. They were God's chosen people. And so anybody else was a dog, and they despised them. They looked down on them. They were nobodies. So keeping that in mind, as, as now Paul's writing about those religious people those Jews who thought that they were something because they were Jews and because they were circumcised, because they had this cut in the flesh that set them apart as Jews, that they were something special. 
And so they looked down at everybody that wasn't special. And so now Paul calls them dogs. Isn't that interesting? He's calling the religious elite, people who thought that they were something because they were specially connected to God, God's chosen people, he calls them dogs. Evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. And why is that? And this is really important to get. As we're just going I'm just going to finish reading this. It's really important to get that the reason Paul is so harsh, so harsh in how he labels them is because anyone or anything that simply takes away our confidence in Christ, Paul says, is, 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 is horrible. Because our joy, true joy, is only possible when it's rooted solely in Christ. And if there's anything, anything at all, that gets in the way, and, and we try to put our joy in that, in our position or our pedigree or our possessions or our upbringing or anything else. We, we try to find our joy in that, our confidence is in that, instead of simply in Christ. Paul says, he calls him a dog here. Um, in verse 3 says, it is we who are the circumcision, meaning those whose hearts have been cut to the quick. We've been convicted about our sin and our hearts have been wrenched. We're the circumcision, the ones who have really been cut and have come to realize who we are and our desperate need of Christ and our confidence in him. For it's we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And he says, though I myself might have reasons for such confidence. And he goes on and he talks about his pedigree, that he's a Jew, that he's of the tribe of Benjamin, that he's a Pharisee, that he persecuted the church and that according to the ceremonial law, the outward trappings of the law, faultless, he did everything that he was supposed to do, and yet, and yet he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He was, in his arrogance and his pride and his meticulous following of the trappings of the law, he was separated from God. Why is that? Verse 7, he says, Because whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And he did. He turned from being this person who was an important Pharisee, looked up to by all the Jews, special assignment from the high priest to capture and kill Christians uh, to losing it all as God knocked him off his donkey on the way to Damascus and he came face to face with Jesus and the realization that, that the person he was fighting was the person who alone could give him joy and life and hope. Because this is it, simply. Well, let me just finish reading here. As he says, and I, you know, I consider all things, you know, his pedigree, his position, his power, all that, all those things he thought were so important, garbage, manure, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing things 
but a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, simply a righteousness, a right relationship with God that comes from just being desperately dependent on Jesus, confident in Christ. And why is that so important? It's so important because of this. You know, if you, if you look at Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament, you get a, we get a great picture. We get a picture of God and all of his glory on his throne in heaven and, and the angels, the seraphim and cherubim, they're, they're just they're circling around him and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Wow. Just turn around for a second. Look at the snow. I just, yeah. It's great. Okay. <laughs> now, this is, you guys aren't going to be paying attention anyway. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but it just caught my eye there. Hey, quit looking. That's going to, um, don't worry, it'll be rain in about three minutes. Um, and it's one of the most beautiful scenes that we get in Scripture. We get, we get another scene in Job 38 where it talks about as God the Father and God the Son are creating the universe and, and the angels, they're, they're just delighted in his presence. And, and we get this, this view, these views in Isaiah and Job of the the beauty and the glory and the joy of heaven. It's hard for us to get because we're so, we're so separated from it. But, but just imagine, that, that is joy. In the presence of the Lord is joy. That's what it says in Psalm 16. In the presence of the Lord is joy. But something happened. We go back to Genesis chapter 3 and, and Adam and Eve and, and all of humanity from then on, we, we, we sinned, we, we became separated from God and, and separated from his joy. And we've tried to find all, all other kinds of ways to be happy, <laughs> to find joy. A lot of them were escapes, right? Things that we do to escape from the the ugliness of life, or and and all these ways, it, it it could be for some of us work. We try we try to work ourselves to death to be happy, or it could be it could be substances, it could be relationships, and so many of them. They just we 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 run after these things, possessions or importance, and but if we come back, we see in you know these pictures in Isaiah and Job that there's only one way to truly have joy. And it's in connection with God. Because in the presence of the Lord alone is fullness of joy. And that's what's the beauty of, of what Paul is writing here. He said, he said I, I thought because I was this Jew and I'm from the tribe of Benjamin and a Pharisee and a persecuted church doing all these things and in the eyes of everyone doing everything I should be doing, but, it, but there wasn't joy. Until he came to the point as he was knocked off his donkey and saw Jesus face to face and came to the realization that joy alone could come through Christ because Christ is the one who brought us back, brings us back into relationship with God and with joy. That's why nothing else will work. 
That's why Paul says, I consider everything else to be garbage, manure. It doesn't, I mean, those things that we pursue that, that we think will bring us happiness, they, bring us, they won't because the only thing that can bring us joy, true joy, is connection. Tapping in to the joy that alone is in God. In his presence is fullness of joy. And Paul, Paul, he says, when he came to the realization of this, he came to the realization that everything else was just manure, garbage. I mean, and if we came to one thing this morning as we, as we look at verse 10 here and then wrap up is that, is that our confidence, if it's in anything else than Christ, if we're pursuing anything other than Christ to bring us happiness or bring us joy, if our confidence is anything or anyone else, it, it, it will fall apart. It, will, it won't bring joy because in the presence of God alone is joy. And so Paul, if you, if you look at verse 10, Paul comes to the point, it's, it's really the conclusion, the culmination in verse 10, where he says the only logical thing then, if, if we're going to really find our joy in the Lord, it's to pursue Christ. And this, this is one of my favorite verses. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to the tame to the resurrection from the dead. Just to state the point again, and I just want to give four things quickly, is that true joy comes when confidence in Christ invades every aspect of our lives. That's, that's so important. And that's what we see in verse 10. When confidence in Christ invades every aspect of our lives, not just this aspect here, you know, Sunday mornings, or community group, or my quiet time, but every aspect of our lives. What's the first one? Paul says, I want to know Christ. Confidence in Christ has to invade our intimacy. (laughs) Intimacy. I think that's why Paul starts. It's where it must begin, knowing Christ. The word, when Paul says, I want to know Christ, it's the same word where in, in the beginning of Matthew where it says, Joseph didn't know Mary, didn't have sexual relationships with Mary until after Jesus was born. It's the most intimate word. Paul says, I want to know Christ intimately. I want to read something here. This this quote is, I I think about it all the time. It's... um, Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Where'd it go? Um, oh, my goodness. Did somebody change the page on this? <laughs> um, here we are. Okay. It's the difference between, and like, how many of us know a lot about God? But how many of us could say, how many of you could say, I know God? Listen to this. J.I. Packer, in this book, Knowing God, a great book, he said, I I was walking in the sunshine with a scholar who had effectively forfeited his prospects of academic achievement 
or advancement by clashing with church dignitaries, this is the Church of England, over the gospel of grace. So he was kind of, this guy was kind of like, like Paul was, a Pharisee, esteemed and, and looked up to. But he had forfeited all that, considered all that garbage, really, by holding to the gospel of grace. But listen, this is what I love. It says, but it doesn't matter, he said at length, for I've known God and they haven't. Ah, you get that? It's like he, he gave up the possibility of advancement in the Church of England, of being important and, look, and looked up to and esteemed, but holding to the gospel of grace, that it's by grace that we're saved and we have this ability to be back in connection with joy, with God, through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Not giving that up for for the fleeting joy of what people would say. He says, but I've known God and they haven't. Isn't that good? I've known God. Could You know, as I, as I look over this last week, and I, as I was preparing, I asked myself that question. Could I say about this last week, I've known God? Did I know God this last week? Or did I just know about him. True joy comes with a truly intimate relationship with God. It's it's really the starting point. That's why Paul says, I want want to know Christ. I want an intimacy with Christ because that intimacy with Christ is going to connect me with the joy of being in the presence of God. Do you know about God or can you say, I know God? And then Paul goes on, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. True joy comes when we can rejoice in our weaknesses. The word power could be translated ability. When when we can rejoice in our inabilities or weaknesses so that we will truly know the ability, the power of Christ, the strength of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I delight in weakness, difficulty, persecution, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. How many of us delight to be weak? We have counseling, if you know. <laughs> the, uh, we don't like to be weak. I, this, this came home to me so strong when we were in Colorado this week. It seems like we left Sunday. We were there until we got back Wednesday night late. And when we were in Colorado visiting our son, it was gorgeous. We were, um, see, the snow's gone. So the... Um, it was beautiful. They, they, they have a place at 9,000 square feet. It was beautiful winter wonderland. And on Tuesday of this last week, we went skiing at 11,000 feet um, at a place called the A Basin. It was beautiful. First time I haven't skied in it's like 20 years. Um, but at 11,000 feet, we... Um, came off the lift and started down 
on, on our first run. And um, it was, you know, after it had been 20 years since I had skied, I was, I would have been 13 at that time then or something. No, I was just kidding. Um, and so it was, it was steeper than I was expecting. You know, you haven't skied in 20 years. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying desperately to, to stay up and not fall down. And so I managed to zigzag, and I came to the end of this first steep without falling down. But at 11,000 square feet, and um, the air being thin, I immediately... I, I had to stop because I was passing out. I, the air was thin, and I was like holding my breath or something, and I got altitude sickness, and uh, I had to. I mean, I was like seeing stars. I was black, and um, finally, after a few minutes, I was able to come to finished and and was able to do a few more runs. But then it, we stopped for lunch and. Um, the altitude sicknesses just took over. I was nauseous and I couldn't. So for the rest of the day, I sat in the um, the lunch area while they finished skiing uh, because the nausea was just was too much. The, the reason I, I'm telling you this is the aftermath was I struggled with having been a failure. I mean, nobody else got altitude sickness. Nobody else, you know, the, and the, in my weakness, I just struggled with being weak that I had to quit skiing and nobody else did. I mean, see, I'm, uh, I'm sure you all are a lot stronger than this. And, you know, the only thing, it, it, it actually took me about a day. I was struggling with this, like, failure. Uh, the only thing that finally got me through it was this truth right here. Was that I had to come to the realization that it was good for me to acknowledge my weakness. Because I'm a weak person. And we're all weak people, right? In different ways that I had to come to delight in my weakness as much as I hated it. <laughs> I had to delight in that because that was the only way that I was going to be able to really find across the board consistently, irregardless of whatever I faced, Christ's strength and therefore confidence in Christ and joy that didn't depend on whether or not I got altitude sickness <laughs> or whether... Or anything else. It wasn't dependent on, on anything. My abilities, because my hope and my confidence was in Christ's strength and Christ's ability. Get that? Um, and so Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And the only way we can know that power is when we embrace our weakness. So we can know his power. Third thing Paul says, and... I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is, it's incredible. It's, it's so we need to embrace, we, we, 
there needs to be a confidence in Christ that, that impacts our intimacy, our abilities. And here, the, the, really the heart of it here is our identity. Our identity. You see that? Participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And that, that's the heart of where real joy is going to penetrate when, when we know who we are when we know who we are, that our identity is rock-solidly rooted in who we are in Christ. And it's, it's, it's not dependent on, on anything else. It's not what people say about us. It's not whether, uh, whether people like us or don't, whether we whether we have a great job or we don't have a great job or what our upbringing was, it's not based on, rooted on anything else. It's rooted on a rock-solid foundation on our identity in Christ. And why is that so important? Because Christ is the one that connects us with the joy and the life and the hope. and the, He's the one that connects us, brings us back into connection with God. And so we aren't what people say about us. We're not identified by our failures or our successes. Our identity is who we are in Jesus because of his death and his resurrection that purchased for us and possessed us and brought us into relationship with Jesus in life. Question is, is your joy being robbed because of lies that you're believing about yourself instead of the truth about who you are in Jesus. And then finally, Paul says, you know, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. It's, It's a confidence that that impacts eternity. I think one of the, probably one of the ways that a lot of our joy is robbed is uh, for uh, the fear of the future or a fear of death. Uh, you know, Paul says earlier in, in this book, Philippians says, for me to live is Christ, but I'm scared to death about dying. <laughs> That's a joke. He says, for, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Isn't that incredible? I mean, so many of us, were, uh, we, we fear death. Or it, there's an uncertainty about it when Paul embraces it and it says, to me, to live is Christ, but to die is, then I'm going to be with him, and I'm going to be in his presence. And How many of us, is that a confidence is there a confidence about eternity that I know for if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus? And that's going to be so exciting. The words to this song says, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry about the future. For I know what Jesus said, and today I'll walk beside him, for he, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. You know, true joy comes from not having to be certain about the future. 
but about who holds the future. Right? It's a confidence in Christ that impacts all the way to eternity. You know, my joy uh, has risen or fallen regularly over the years, and it's based on my confidence or lack of confidence in Christ. It really is. Uh, a long time ago, when I was, well, long, that makes it sound like I'm really old, I am, okay? The, uh, when I was really struggling with my identity, um, somebody told me something that has just stuck with me, and it, it's, it's wonderful. It kind of hits at the heart of this. It says, Christ confidence is self-confidence. And that's, that's, that's what Paul is saying here. Is if our confidence is rooted in Christ, and it, 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 it impacts every aspect of our lives, our intimacy, our, our thinking about our abilities, our identity, the heart of who we are, and, and all the way into eternity, if, if our confidence in Christ invades every aspect of life, we don't just reduce it to Sunday mornings or our quiet times, but we let who we are in Christ and, and our confidence in him invade every aspect of life, then true joy will become a reality, not based on what side of the bed we get up on, whether it snows or doesn't, whether somebody we show up at work and, and we're let go, we get a flat tire. See, it's not about be happy. It's about a confidence rooted in Christ that will penetrate through all those challenges, all those difficulties, and in the midst of it all, bring us a, a rock-solid joy. Is your confidence in Christ? That That's, to me, let I'd encourage you just to, to read through these verses, kind of Paul's testimony, and let's just root our confidence again in Christ. Let's pray. God, I think so often we forget that it's in your presence that is fullness of joy. As we have tried to find joy in so many other things and people Father remind us that it's in your presence that is joy and that it's in Christ in intimate relationship with Christ that we are connected to your joy Father just afresh open our eyes to see Jesus to be reminded of who he is, what he's done, everything that he is for us, for our joy's sake. Amen.